along with all the clients at, at Plains that I did help myself. So I, I think there's the difference in the relationship for the client. I had one of my clients told me, <laughs> you don't know how much you need a banker until you have one. And now that he has one, he realizes for how long he could have been doing things differently or could have bounced things off of me, could have found out who else I could connect him with to save him time, money, and, and really gain an advantage in business. So I think there is a, a tremendous difference in having a bank or having a banker. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. And for more information on this podcast, you can go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experienced with an ED. For my other fellow Marines out there always wondering how to spell things, myexperiencerealtor.com. Click on the podcast button and uh, you can download all of these episodes either on YouTube, your preferred platforms like Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, and you can hit the read more to find out information on my guests like today, fellow Marine, Ronnie DeManna. How are you doing, Ronnie? Very good, Jeremy. Never been better, sir. Never been better. Oh, well, that's, that's quite the opening yeah. right there. Yeah, Never absolutely. been better. Never been better. And, and I think it's, uh, it, it's fun to say in times like this, so, but I, I've never been better. That is, that's fantastic because it's, you know, here it is. We're, in, we're recording this episode in the end of March of 2020, so we're well over 12 months past when the pandemic shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And you being in the banking industry, which we'll, we'll come back to, to hear you say never been better, that's, that's, that's quite the optimism right there. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and so my father-in-law says I got to start every one of these off with a joke. So to honor him, I always tell a joke. But you being a Marine, I have perfect Marine joke. <laughs> and I make them really clean just because I know that I want to disappoint my father-in-law in these <laughs> jokes. What are the four things you don't want to hear in the Marine Corps, Ronnie? There's, I know that's a long list. And it has to be clean, right? Right. Yeah. There's, there's a long list there. Huh. I got it for you. Ready? Go for it. A captain say, I have a plan. <laughs> a lieutenant say, I think I know where we're at. A sergeant that says, don't worry, Gunny, I got this. <laughs> and a lance corporal that looks around and says, hey, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I do like that. That's one of my favorite Marine Corps jokes. That is one of the best clean Marine Corps jokes I've heard. So it's I'm probably gonna, the only clean. <laughs> it's probably the only clean that. one. <laughs> so, Ronnie, to to help the audience understand who you are, let's talk about your your journey of where do you come from? You know, you you went into the Marines. Where did you go into the Marines from? And then ultimately, how did you end up in what you're doing and where you are now? And just Kind of go with it from there. Absolutely. And it's a, a story that I enjoy talking about with hindsight's view. So I was born, unlike most people that I, I live with now here in, in North Texas, I was born in New York in Staten Island and uh, lived there until I was a, a teenager playing baseball, growing up in, in New York City, going to Yankee games uh, like a typical New Yorker. And like most New Yorkers, we eventually found our way out of New York and into most either go to Jersey, Pennsylvania, or Florida. We wound up in Florida. I followed grandparents. And when I moved there just before high school, 
I, I didn't know everything about Florida, but I knew what my parents told me was that I got to play baseball all year long. There was no winters to take an off season anymore. And I'd have a shot to fulfill that dream, you know, being a professional baseball player, that, that thing, that little fire that burns inside you. And I did play baseball all year long, played baseball through high school. And, and when I got hurt playing baseball and I, I wound up dislocating my patella, I spun my kneecap around backwards, tore some ligaments in my knee. And I knew at that point that that baseball dream had a lot less likelihood to it in coming true. And so that was part of my mentality to join the Marine Corps was I, I needed something else, another definite major purpose uh, in life. And uh, they definitely helped me helped me achieve that and, and helped me cross that bridge when I needed it. Went into the Marine Corps and I was a forward observer. I did, again, injure my knee on Paris Island and wound up there for a lot longer than most people should be <laughs> for mental and emotional wellness. And I, I enjoyed my time there though, and, and it really did solidify me as a person. Uh, and then when I got out into MOS or, or job school for us Marines, uh, I finished top of my class in artillery school, was meritoriously promoted top of my class in Naval Gunfire School out in Coronado, meritoriously promoted again. So needless to say, when 9-11 happened, and I, I remember like everybody else does watching the first plane, of course, thinking it was an accident. The second plane, knowing that I needed to go home and pack my stuff because it definitely was not an accident. And wanting to use the training that, that we were given and that I felt like I was the best at my job you know, to apply. And when we were doing the, the medical stuff not long after that, getting ready for deployment, they found a, a heart murmur. And I was informed that I was not only non-deplorable, but, but I was a, only going to be able to re-enlist or, or only be able to really serve job function and administration or supply, was put on light duty. And us Marines know that in the Marine Corps, that means you're broken. You know, you, you, you might have some things you need to work on physically before you're able to function like you're used to again. So I, I used that to, again, re-motivate myself and and on my way out, got back into school, met my soon-to-be wife, uh, and she really helps me and has, has always helped me focus and, and refuel and, and keep going on, on that path. And when I did you know, get back into school with that Marine confidence, it was a, a totally different story than any time I was younger than that. So I was able to really apply potential that I, I felt like I was always storing up, did well in school, and, and started in banking in 2005. And as I worked my way up in banking, still using and, and relying really on that Marine Corps confidence and, and purpose with the support of my wife and, and eventually my two daughters, I found my way to Texas in 2015 through a, a merger and took advantage of a relocation program in banking to help get me moved out here. And uh, you, Jeremy, were actually one of the first people that I met when I moved out here. I was still brand new to Texas, meeting people at networking events. And a lot of people told me, well, if you want to meet decision makers in Fort Worth and you want to meet important people and you want to enjoy doing it, you got to get a membership at the club. You got to be a member at the Fort Worth club and yours and, and other uh, people that I trusted's advice really kind of helped me find my purpose here in Texas too. Man, are you sure you want to admit on a podcast that millions of people can <laughs> listen to that I was one of the first people you met when you got here Absolutely. and I was an influencer? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think there's a, there's a purpose to all that happens, right? And, uh, without a, a good wind in your sails, you don't really get to where you need to go. And if I remember correctly, when you, the bank merger that brought you here is also not the bank you're currently with. That's correct. Okay. So I, I came here with one of the larger banks and it through the merger, I was always and since the Marine Corps, one of those people that drink the Kool-Aid, right? I, 
I, I bleed the whatever color <laughs> that that organization has as a primary color. I, I believe in the logo, the philosophy, the culture, and I, I just always have done that. And when the bank that I was with announced a merger with another bank to become the fourth largest bank in the country, I knew that that was not going to enable me to serve my clients the way that I want to and helping small businesses and commercial and business clients and, and being able to really help them achieve the goals and potential that that business has is what I enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. So I needed to find somewhere that enabled me to do that. And I did not know that I'd be able to find not only a bank that enables me to do that now, but to have an office three miles from my house. And, you know, when I need to pop over to one daughter's horseback riding or the other daughter's daughter's softball practice, it's all still within the hometown. So I never knew that was really going to be a possibility. Now, how old are your daughters? Going to be 13 and eight this year, coming up in a couple months. Wow. Mm -hmm. They grow fast, don't they? They they do faster than is comprehensible, I think. Wait till they're 20 like mine. (laughs) And you're trying to just solely focus on not choking them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, it, daughters, dads with daughters is something that I've, I've just always had a passion about because as soon as they come out and open their eyes and look at you, you know, and you feel the whole world focal point uh, is on you. You're the example of what all men should be like in her life, whether you like it or not. And, and you better start acting like what you want her to interpret that <laughs> perception as. That's a, that's actually a, a really good topic I'd, I'd like to hone in on because there's a lot of complexity going on in the world that we live in, right? You know, there's, there's, there's three topics that I try to purposely avoid talking about, which is politics, religion, and gender-related issues because it is so polarized that it's, it's, it's hard to have dialogue in those topics today, mainly because people are very dug in and social media has created an avenue where it's more of a one-way conversation than it is a two-way dialogue. And you know, guys like you and I grew up in an era where there was dialogue and not social media and cell phones were brand new to where it's not the same world that our daughters live in, mm-hmm. right? And you brought up right before we got started, uh, Jared Clark, you know, Mm -hmm. who's got two daughters and his eldest daughter is is special needs. And how do you prepare your daughters for the real world? And I'm going through that right now Mm -hmm. is I joke around that my daughter was majoring in having a good time. Turns out she was having all too good of a time (laughs) where now it's, hey, you need to get a job. Mm -hmm. And making that transition of trying to help them understand that there's not a money tree in the backyard that you just pluck these dollar bills off. And we're going through this segment now of trying to learn how we have these conversations where she understands and gains clarity. Uh, A frequent phrase that I use is confusion creates fear, clarity creates trust. And man, there's just this huge disconnect with this 20-year-old generation of which we're learning more and more about from other parents of they're going through the same thing Mm -hmm. is there's this fear of stepping out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, which brings me back to my question is you said something really important is you want your daughter's perception of who a man is to come off of who you are. Well, it's going to be that perception, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So how you act accordingly in that role is really going to help shape that right where as a parent especially after they've left the nest you know you get to enjoy the empty nester part of it but 
you're constantly worried, man, did I do it right? Am I doing it right? And so two weeks ago, my daughter called me and I was like, wow, she usually texts me. So she's calling me, maybe, maybe an emergency happened. And she's like, hey, I've got this job interview. Can I get your advice on what to go say? Man, I, <laughs> man, I, I, I had a smile from ear to ear because my daughter wants my advice yep. on something that apparently she's seen something in the work world and me that she knew that I could give her some good instruction and advice. So my question to you is, what are some of the things that you're being intentional in, in making sure that your daughters see out of you? Sure. So I, I've always looked at myself and my communication with others when, from my time in the Marine Corps and after with my clients, really in a coaching capacity. And I think I parent in, in a lot of the same way. So we, we try and give them tools that they're going to be able to use permanently, customize in their own way to do that and to show them that the father figure and, and my role in the family might be to be the first one that tries that experience. So to give you an example, I started meditating and working on mindfulness practices maybe six, seven years ago with just a book like literally called How to Meditate from the library audio book and went from there and you know, one app at a time, one website at a time, one practice at a time. Felt like I was refining my skills in that and then rolled it out to my wife and, and my kids who now do it regularly. And I think especially in today's world, to give a child the ability to even know that it's an option to get off that emotional roller coaster, to choose not to be angry any longer or to focus on the, the peace or calm that is inside and not looking for something uh, to make them happy on the outside. We try and make sure that, that that's something that they work on every day and, and it really helps them do that. And I think that coupled with one of my daughters plays softball, the other one rides horses to give them a, a definite major purpose in life, something that they really fall in love with, that they have a passion for outside of friends and social networks or, or whatever it is, I think is also the, the second kind of pillar that, that we've made sure to, to stand firm on. So, so keep them you, on it. you couldn't naturally do that without having a partner with you in this. It would be impossible for me. Uh, I know there are some super parents that do it alone, but it would be impossible for me to do that without, without my wife. And, and her influence and, and balance in it is the only way that I see it, you know, possible for it to work out for us. Yeah. And I, and I really think that the last 12 months has tested a lot of marriages out there. I mean, I think relationships now are harder than they were for our parents' generation, mm -hmm. right? There's just more complexity. There's more access is what I like to call mm -hmm. it, you know. Technology gives you more access. You know, you and I grew up at the Encyclopedia Britannica. That was our access. And if your parents didn't have one, then you had to go to your school library to get it yep. to try to learn things. Where now access is everywhere. And then even some of that access, you really have to vet to see if it's accurate in what you're looking at. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's all this noise that we're surrounded by that now you get folks locked up together, unable to leave their, their, their residence <laughs> for three months, mm -hmm. then that really tests, you know, so there's, I can't, I can't tell you how many divorces I've <laughs> seen happen. And the, the, the response was, I knew I really loved my wife or I, I really knew I loved my husband, but I just learned that I really didn't like him that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but spending that much time with somebody does, right? It's a, it's a revealer of, of, truth, I think. And at the very beginning of the epidemic, when 
last spring break of, of 2020 when they started, you know, shutting down the schools. I remember having dinner with my kids and, and having that conversation with them that they're, they're going to be people that, that do two really, really two different things during the pandemic. One, one option for people is to continue to look back and to keep saying that I can't wait to things get back to normal and to feel emotional anger and, and fear about what's going on and sadness about what you can't do, right? What you're not free to do anymore. And then there are going to be those that use this as an opportunity to find and better themselves and to sharpen the blade and to take that next step forward. And this is what we're going to do. So we're going to use this time to get better, get closer as a family, work on ourselves, work on our crafts, work on things that we can. And I feel like those people are going to come out with such a huge advantage when, when things do hit some you know, uh, version of normal or, or whatever we wind up looking like on the other side of this. I think those that used it as an opportunity, as a stepping stone are going to be just that much more ahead of the game at the end. So I can make an assumption of what camp out of those two camps you probably fall in. <laughs> so what camp do you fall in on that one? I, I think we, we enjoy spending the time together almost in a, in a forced way. We try and find things that we can do to make the best out of it. One of them was we were, we're blessed enough to be financially able to put a pool in right before the, the pandemic started. So we created our own little oasis in our, in our backyard. We controlled what was within our control instead of focusing on all those things that are outside of our control. And I, I think that is a, a key aspect in happiness is you need, need to find happiness on the inside with, with the things that you actually do have direct control over instead of waiting for some influence from the outside to do it for you. So then, so if I hear you right, is we're not going back to normal prior to the pandemic. We, we never have gone back to normal ever in all of history, right? We've never done something and then oh, we're just going to go back to how we did it in the fifties or, you know, whatever time period you want to pick. There is no back to normal. Yeah. That's an illusion. So we're living in a lot of ambiguity, probably mm -hmm. now more so than ever. Mm -hmm. And you being in the banking industry, I can only imagine the chaos <laughs> of things because while being in an industry, you know, sim similar to real estate, right? We both are in industries that are also still want to be advanced, but are very antiquated, mm -hmm. right? very, this is the way it's always been done mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then now there's a lot of fear because confusion right. creates fear is now there's all this ambiguity is what are you doing as a family unit with you and your wife as partners mm -hmm. to try to stay on the upside of that? I think the more we connect with our community and the more we can share that positive energy and, and optimism and surround yourself with people that want and, and wish for the same things, the, the better off everybody is. What's good for the bee is good for the hive, right? So I, I think between being involved with the, you know, starting with our direct family and friends and our HOA, doing all pro dads and, and different functions with the school virtually or, or not really doesn't matter. It's just uh, another roadblock to overcome and then keeping on growing it out and, and it getting uh, more influence to more people, I think. And, trying to help other people see what we see and, and help them cross that bridge when they need to get there. But uh, we do it through example. I don't, you know, we're not the preachy kind of couple. We don't uh, try and tell people how things are. We control what's within our control. And then we often get asked, you know, why, 
we're able to do the things that we're able to do. Or when, as a family of four, we go to the, the barn and we're all taking care of the horse. We're all putting tack on, we're all picking hooves and brushing the horse. And even though one of my daughter's rides, all four of us are there doing it. And during softball, when I'm coaching and my wife's on the bench doing the lineup and getting kids helmets on and hand sanitizer and tech and temperatures and making sure they got their mask on and telling people to stay away from each other and doing all that stuff. I, I think it's just the, it feels like it's the flow that we like to get into. It's the most natural thing that we do. And, and I'd say the most fun that I have parenting you know, is doing it all together. So you, you mentioned community mm-hmm. and I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny. It makes me think of the Marine Corps <laughs> a little bit, right? Is you've got the MAGTAF, which, you know, for the audience out there is a large portion of the Marine Corps that I, I won't make total sausage out of this is then you go down to a regiment, mm-hmm. you know, which has several different battalions. Then you get down to a battalion, down to a company, down to a unit. And then fire teams is the, one of the things that makes Marine Corps so successful is we focus on the smaller elements to be able to operate, mm-hmm. right? Without needing with, that can operate in autonomy without by giving the the authority by those above them. That way, as a whole, we grow together, mm-hmm. right? Does that make sense? It does. And so it sounds like that. And, it, and the reason I bring this up is you don't live in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. You live in Mansfield. So would you say so? Mansfield's population of eighty thousand, probably eighty thousand versus mm-hmm. Fort Worth proper. What are we close to a million or something mm-hmm. like that? Or if not, we're not we going to complete the census. We'll know, yeah. right? So <laughs> we'll find we'll find out how many people we got. Do you think that? Living in a smaller community, and for the audience out there that's maybe not from the area, Mansfield is not far from Fort Worth. I mean, so for you to get to Fort Worth is what, 20, 30 minutes? Yeah, 25 miles from Fort Worth, 30 miles from Dallas. Yeah, so you're kind of in the middle of the apex there, mm-hmm. right? And do you think that living in a smaller community during the pandemic had advantages mm-hmm. versus being in a larger community, like actually being in a like Fort Worth or Dallas itself? I think there are maybe some advantages to that. There could be some disadvantages, I guess, to having things that you might need or want to access be further away than is easy to get to during the pandemic. I've never seen Fort Worth or felt Fort Worth since I first got here as a big city. I feel that it's a a really big, small town. And I think cities that have that feel, it's because they have that community awareness. bigger cities and and some cities that are smaller by population than Fort Worth that feel like bigger cities, I think struggle with the pandemic more because it just means there's less connection neighbor to neighbor. So if it's uh, in Fort Worth, I know certain pockets in Fort Worth, say the South side or something that people are are maybe closer than they are in a lot of small towns that I remember in Florida. So I think it really depends on the the flavor and aspect of, of that individual neighborhood, how close knit can that community, whether it's a block, you know, a, a part of a big city or a whole little town, how close can that community get and how can they really help each other? And I think when we went through that freeze you know, last month, that was also another event that really brought out the truth in people and to see my neighbor come and help me with, you know, busted sprinkler line, shut off my water main. And because I saw how that was done, I helped my neighbor and they helped the ones across the street and they helped the ones down the block because the same piece was, was busting and, and water was spraying all over my neighborhood. To see that happen was, it was enlightening. It was encouraging. It's the silver lining to all the dark clouds that I think we 
focus too much on now when the, the silver lining is really the brightest part. And by the freeze, you mean the Valentine's Day. Snowvid 21, yeah. Snowvid 21, mm-hmm. where Texas literally shut down. I think we were declared, I believe we were declared a disaster state. As a matter of fact, I mean, even on one of, one of, my, one of my TCU rental properties, <laughs> they had an unrelated plumbing issue from the freeze. It was mm-hmm. more of a drainage issue. And I've got TCU kids living there. And it took me four weeks. Mm to get a plumber in there. And, and by the way, I mean, I, without going into the long story of it, is I was calling different plumbers. I was trying to use the home warranty plumber. I ended up just ultimately going with one that I trusted and used in the past. Mm-hmm. And he said, man, I can get to you on, on, I think it was like March 22nd. And, and I was like, man, can you get any faster? He goes, oh no, dude. He goes, it, because of who you are, I'm getting mm-hmm. to you March 22nd or exactly. it would be the second week of April. Yep. So that freeze really caused a lot of disruptions on the heels of a pandemic, riots and protests, a very, very turmoil election, wildfires uh, throughout the U.S., hurricanes, and then here it is, we're trying to make this recovery, and then that freeze shut down. You know, I, I don't know about the rest of Texas, but our part of Texas, it really shut us down, mm-hmm. right? And so being able to have to rely on community, it was really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was that revealing moment, right? Where you, you start to see things about people and, and places that you, maybe you always kind of thought was under the surface somewhere, but you were hoping it was or wasn't. And it, and it comes out during times like that. But I, I think it's just another example of there, there's so much in our, in our world that we don't have control over, right? We don't, we can't control the freezing temperature of water and, and what our pipes are made out of when it's starting to freeze but we can control a reaction to it when the blackouts were rolling and you know, when the power was going out and coming back on and we're trying to stay warm and, and learn things about what we should be doing because we hadn't lived in an area that has frozen in, in a really long time. We, we started talking to kids about, well, when the power goes back off, what can we do? Like what, instead of talking about all the things we can't do and, and, and how cold it's going to be and, and have that electronic or whatever, what are some things, that we can do? What are some games we can play? What are some uh, things we can find in the house or, or things we can do to keep us busy and keep us entertained, keep us on the same page and stop us from bickering or, you know, getting irritable or spending all that, that kind of quarantine time like that. So. Yeah. It was kind of a, kind of a revisit back to the lockdown a little bit over mm-hmm. a week's time. Yeah, and, yeah, it was. And actually now that, now that I'm thinking about that and I, I can't believe I thought about this before is I wonder how many, I don't know if you wanted to call it PTSD or whatever <laughs> of people's experiences through the lockdown is how did some people handle that freeze of being reminded real quickly of like, hey, we just experienced this to how that's going to change the new normal mm-hmm. of us moving forward. And by an example of that, I mean, is 9-11 happened coming up on 20 years ago this year, right? It's hard to believe it's been crazy 20 years. And what and I, and I was literally having this conversation with a, with a client yesterday morning because he, he was asking me some questions why I thought things were going on in the real estate market the way they are and what were some things that were leading that way. And I said, well, humans have a tendency to remember deep pain. Mm-hmm. And then when things become a part of that new normal to address that pain, even though you might need, not need those things anymore, it's like you said, 
we never go backwards, right? We don't go back to the fifties, right? Mm-hmm. Where seatbelt was mom's arm coming across <laughs> the, the seat. Yeah. And then now you're buckled in like a race car driver mm-hmm. is watching, you know, for example, in nine 11, we took our shoes off at the airport. 20 years later, we're still taking our shoes off at the airport. So mm-hmm. well, things like mass, while maybe not everybody wearing them, you know, Texas is open, been open for several weeks. Will people continue to wear masks just because that's their new comfort and security? You know, what are some of the things that are now going to evolve and change that are going to create those, those avenues that make people more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Which to me creates opportunities in business to be able to accommodate those things. Right. Are you seeing anything from the banking world of new business ideas or, or maybe pivots from one company trying to go another direction because, hey, these are the new normals that we're seeing on the horizon and we want to be able to provide X, Y, Z for that. Mm. So I think that's a great question. And what I've seen personally as a new approach in banking, at least for me in this 15 years compared to where I see most of my peers doing right now, is we looked at the PPP Paycheck Protection Program from my office and from my point of view as an opportunity to help clients and to be the good guy for, for once as a banker to offer money in a, a form of a loan that could be fully forgivable that they don't have to pay back. So what's better than a loan that you don't have to pay back? It, and the only part of the whole process that really is difficult is trying to get through the government process and applying for it and understanding it and, and wrapping your brain around where you fit in it and making sure that you're doing the application correctly. Really communication with somebody that has knowledge that you need. So I've been through during the first PPP program last year through forgiveness at the, throughout all of the end of last year and PPP 2.0 this year, and it will be for forgiveness later. I've been willing and, and put myself really out there as a resource for anybody that's doing a PPP loan, really with any bank and just being able to help them understand it send them the raw documents and links from the SBA, from Treasury, connect them with, with SCORE or different SBA tools to get the real knowledge and information right from the horse's mouth. And, and I think by doing that, one of the reasons why I said I've never been better in, in business, at least, is I've never been busier than I am now. Because after and during that whole process, as people learn that the huge banks and the, the larger banks were not going to help them through this, and that most bankers were making a decision to totally avoid all SBA and PPP aspects if it were humanly possible. I looked at it as this is an opportunity for me to really help and make a difference in the community and not have a clear motive of you know, profitability for the bank and, and all of that as, as the reason why the bank has let me go out there and do it. It's just because it's the right thing to do. And I, I think it's, a, it's, it's been a blessing for me to be able and enabled to do that at the bank I'm at now at Plains Capital. And it's a, I I think it's been a big difference maker for my clients in them being able to obtain the funds, get forgiven, and then move forward from there. So this is a great segue into something you're touching on is I want to talk about, and I want to kind of list these things out and we'll kind of go through them is Mm -hmm. the importance of having a banker you trust, Mm -hmm. right? Two, is this an avenue, an opening for smaller banks to really succeed in this new world Mm -hmm. because of like you talked about earlier, smaller community, you know, versus larger global, like uh, Michael Sherrod's episode 
that we recorded, he came out several months ago, was talking about the difference in governmental structure where everybody relied on the federal government, but the federal government is so big, they can't get to <laughs> Tarrant County, Johnson County, Dallas, or, you know, whatever county type things that needed mm-hmm. help where it was going to be more hyper-focused on local government probably moving forward because they were the ones that are in direct contact. So, and then, and then to, to add onto that is so I, my bankers with the larger bank and first round, I think everybody was trying to figure out how to do the PPP. And then when the second round came, because they were, were so big, they were having so many technology troubles that my restaurant's been in trouble, mm-hmm. right? This thing is supposed to be hitting 10 years in June. Mm. And just to give an example is in 2019, we were right across the street from a college campus. It's pizza and beer. It's Marine proof. Mm-hmm. We did 1.2 million in sales. The GM is doing a knockout job. And then in 2020, we, we barely broke 700. Mm-hmm. So we did almost half of what we did the year before. We're barely struggling. We got, I mean, this, the, the PPP, if, if, if it doesn't happen in the second round, the restaurant doesn't see a 10 year anniversary, right? Like there's nothing you can do it because People aren't coming and buying product and there's all these costs, blah, 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 without making sausage out of it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, and, and this kind of goes with the importance of having a banker that you trust is because of the banking industry he works for it was so large, what he ended up doing was connecting me with a smaller community banker and said, look, I'm not sure that our people are going to be able to get this done before you have to close your doors. So let me get you over here. Let me. So some people might see that as like, oh, he gave you over to the competition. No, he was doing what a trusted resource does is like, if I can't do it, I'm going to find you somebody that did. Mm-hmm. And then now everything has been filed and we've got a lot more comfort believing that this is hopefully comes in this week mm-hmm. or else <laughs> April's going to be real <laughs> tough. <laughs> but so I want to talk about the, I want you to cover the topic or cover the importance of having a banker. And then the second, the importance of being what advantages you have in a smaller bank versus a larger bank, having a banker there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I, first of all, I think there's a huge difference in when somebody says that they have a banker and when they have a bank. Some people think that their banking relationship is just with a bank, a logo, a website, an ATM. And then other people, especially in business, realize that the real value in a banking relationship comes from the banker. And no matter what bank they're with, you need a banker that is enabled to help you, empowered to help you by that bank, or willing to refer you to other people that can when he can't do that. And so that that, that banker did the the absolute ideal thing for you that that he could do within what was within his control, right? When I found Plains Capital, I thought this type of banking was kind of extinct, where uh, there's no segmentation. I'm the only loan officer for my clients. Every client, business client, has a loan officer that doesn't change, doesn't get moved around, doesn't get switched up on them. So we're enabled to be involved in the process. So while a lot of the clients I help with PPP did not have accounts with Plains Capital, so we didn't even wind up processing uh, their application, I wound up referring them to a a people fund or a a lift fund or or some other micro lender that wasn't really even a bank that was able to process PPP loans for people individuals and 1099 subcontractors and give them the links for it, send them the application for from the, the SBA themselves of what the PPP application actually looks like, connect them with a score to download the webinar to see these are all the required documentations I'm going to have to have and all the attestations I'm going to have to make. So 
a lot of the clients I help with PPP were not, you know, applications that I actually processed myself along with all the clients at, at planes that I did help myself. So I, I think there's the difference in the relationship for the client. I had one of my clients told me, <laughs> you don't know how much you need a banker until you have one. And now that he has one, he realizes for how long he could have been doing things differently or could have bounced things off of me, could have found out who else I could connect him with to save him time, money, and, and really gain an advantage in business. So I think there is a, a tremendous difference in having a bank or having a banker. Yeah. And man, I love hearing that because I think I became more successful in business when I had not just a banker, a trusted CPA, mm-hmm. a trusted wealth manager, a good civil attorney, mm-hmm. and I even threw in a defense attorney. We had yeah. an episode that dropped this this week that we're recording this. He dropped this week. And people are like, you're, you're, you're a retired sergeant with Fort Worth PD. Why would you need a defense attorney? And I was like, well, it's like an American Express card. <laughs> Better to have one and not need one than need one and not have one. That you have somebody you can rely on because we don't know what's going to happen in the world. We, we don't know how we might, we know the way we like to respond to things. But if, if you didn't, you want somebody representing your interest, because I tell people, I'm like, the reason he's part of my financial team is because if, if something were to happen, unfortunately, where I got arrested for something, I, I don't know, beating up a daughter's boyfriend, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to say that <laughs> I have. Just for example. Not, yeah. Yeah, not that I want <laughs> to. She's actually got a, finally got a boyfriend that I really like is, but there's a financial cost that's going to come in there to do all that Mm -hmm. right and and having other people focus on that that i trust to look after my money and grow my money then all i have to do is focus on making more money Mm -hmm. taking care of my companies taking care of my employees i can focus on the things that generate the money and then that team focuses on taking you know taking care of of the money that is generated from what we do Mm -hmm. And, and it is so funny how many times I'll have a conversation with someone that I'm like, who's your banker? And they're like, well, I bank with XYZ company. And I'm like, yeah, but what relationship do you have in there that you trust that will take care of that? Yeah. Who's the person that, yeah. that you rely on about banking questions, right? I think Napoleon Hill calls that a mastermind alliance, right? You need to surround yourself with people that have skills and, and knowledge that complement your own, that can fill in the gaps of your own. So attorneys, bankers, CPAs, realtors, I think having somebody that you can rely on that has a specialty in that area it, it is immeasurable of an immeasurable value. I, I think it's just, you, you have to surround yourself with people that have the knowledge that you don't yet have. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I, I man, there's just so much that goes into that that, rings so true is and you brought up something is that's what we're trying to do in in real estate Mm -hmm. so you know as you know we our broker or brand that we carry our license under as independent contractors is sotheby's Mm -hmm. briggs freeman sotheby's international realty but the span group is an independent contractor so we're we don't we work under Sotheby's, but we really don't work for Sotheby's. Makes right. sense, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to treat my business as a team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as that team, you know, our two core values that we must have is what I call the value exchange. It's the first core value. We must trust you and want to work with you as the client. Mm-hmm. 
and we've said no to clients before. Sure. And which is actually a really good feeling. It's a great feeling. (laughs) And then the client must trust us and want to work with us because then we have trust and that's the value exchange with each other. Mm -hmm. One side is lopsided, lopsided during the convincing business. I don't have the time and energy to convince anybody. I don't have the time and energy to be convinced myself. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody really has a superpower to convince others of things. So as long as we have that value exchange and the second core value is what I call the value proposition is your money is always going to be more important than my money. People go, Oh, well, what happens if you don't get paid? And I was like, then we missed the first core value because as long as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, the money's going to naturally follow. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a meeting last Friday and, and so interviewing this guy and he says, so what's your value proposition? And I said, let me tell you about the two core values. As I just said, first core value, value exchange, second core value, value proposition. And this is a guy that's been in business for a long time and he got it that quick. He mm-hmm. was like, what a way to very quickly sum something up of, who you are and what you do. And it's because of that, as I told the team, as we've been building this team and that I want us to be a part of that financial advisory group, right? That we're not really here as real estate agents. We're here as real estate advisors, no matter where you're going to buy real estate on the planet. And I get calls weekly of like, Hey, I have so-and-so that wants to buy here or there. And I go, we'll get the right person for you. Mm-hmm. We will make sure you have someone just like us that you trust that can take care of whoever, wherever there, because how many people just pick up and dial a number and you don't know who you get or Mm -hmm. you don't know what you get. Right. And so being able to rely on somebody that can help give you guidance, like you said, answer questions, banking questions, banking things that you're like, you know, man, I had no idea in this, Mm -hmm. you know, look, I, I got it. I had an MBA from TCU, you know, that sh- gives like this illusion that I know a lot more about things than what I actually know. <laughs> and, and I've learned more from bankers, you know, especially cause you mentioned Fort Worth club. You know, I mean, you could throw a stone and hit a banker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is that learning more about things that are involved in, in banking and what advantages and what leverage you can have and where you can go with that. So for the audience out there, if, if you're if you're in the area and you need a banker, naturally call Ronnie. But if you don't have a banker and you're not going to call Ronnie, you need to find one because it does make a difference on your momentum going forward. Mm-hmm. You need to find a banker who's as passionate about your business as you are, really. Just like you and, and I, I see you and, and your wife get, you're as passionate or more so than your client when you're, when you're buying or selling a, a piece of real estate, right? You are emotionally invested in their success. And I think that is a huge difference maker that most people don't, don't see as an option anymore, right? They don't know that there's an, an option for an attorney to want them to succeed or for a CPA to want them to succeed or a banker or realtor uh, or anybody else, really. It, it, when I coach my daughter's team in softball, it sticks out to some of the parents that we really are passionate about coaching, about helping them get better and, and in softball or, or develop in that way. Or when my, my wife is, you know, checking temperatures or, or, you know, doing hand sanitizers that we're passionate about keeping not just our kids safe, but all of the kids that are there participating safe. And I, I think that passion and emotional relativity is, is the, the really fabric of that relationship. 
Absolutely. And that takes me back to, I want to dial it back and go to uh, a part of your life that I think probably is a contributor to how it is you do what you do. But I really want to dial into this is here it was, you had big dreams, go be a professional baseball player. And then sometimes life happens. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I played baseball growing up. You want to know why I didn't go off to play in college? Why? Because I wasn't any good at it. (laughs) (laughs) So when you have a talent and you're on your way and you're doing everything right, and then life happens, an injury, whichever, maybe you didn't have enough talent, maybe an injury, maybe you lost desire, maybe there was something that caused you to go off grid. Yours was an injury. And then you go into the Marine Corps because that's going to be your new purpose. And then you get there and you've done everything right. You've checked all the boxes. You're the best at what you do. And then it's like, oh, we can't put you in to go play. <laughs> you know, so there's twice mm-hmm. in a short amount of time in life yeah. where you've done everything to get there. And it wasn't that you haven't demonstrated that you could go do it. It was something outside of what you've said at your control. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's got to be some mental jumping jacks you went through on both of those. Absolutely. So let's talk about those. So on the, the going through getting, getting injured and, and feeling the lack of, of potential anymore and you know, hearing after that a lot and, and through growing up that, I, you know, well, Ronnie has all this potential. He just worked a little harder. You know, if he really tried in school and stopped worrying about what his GPA needed to be just to play baseball or, you know, just, just to get by, he would be capable of so much more. And then when I got hurt, I felt like the doubting of that potential was in the forefront of my mind, right? Am I really capable of that much? Can I really do something that makes an impact like that? Am I special? I think in any way is, is what goes through. And when I, I remember watching the Marine Corps videos and learning about what was going to happen to me when I went there and thinking, well, this can, this will make me special, right? This will give me that solidification of who I need to be. And when I'm in boot camp and getting hurt in Paris Island and spending a long time there, I think one of the major lessons that I learned really was I'm capable of as much as I think that I am capable of. And I'm in control of anything that I feel like I'm in control of. So when I could make the decision to just go forward when I didn't know where to go, when in doubt, just keep falling forward, right? And I I felt like I just kept falling forward. And the Marine Corps really gave me that momentum to do that. And then again, when the Marine Corps kind of said, well, you know, this, this is another break that you're not in control of, but the Marine Corps has a way of once a, a tool or an item is broken, it loses a lot of its use, right? It, it is less useful than it was previously. And again, I had that questioning of my potential and can I really fulfill what I need to fulfill? Can I, can I be who I want to be? And my wife, Rosemary, was really the, the one that was able to help me clearly see that the potential and that light was still there. At the beginning, you mentioned your father-in-law. My father-in-law, uh, my wife's uh, dad, Joe, was another person that as soon as he met me and started talking about what I wanted to do and where I saw this all going, when I asked for permission to marry his daughter, he had this confidence in me and this faith in me that I would do something great with whatever I was doing that I'd he always said, you're going to be like president of the bank or 
thought I was president of the bank, I think, when I was an assistant manager <laughs> or something. But he had this unwavering faith. You should have told your boss faith. that he had promoted you and you should get the pay that comes with that, right? I think he, I think he might have done that <laughs> once or twice at, at weddings or something like that. But he did. He, he just had this unwavering faith in me. And I saw in him an example of what a dad should be, right? They're reliable and they work hard and things that I was just kind of adding to my repertoire. And then when we had kids, like we talked about, I, I felt the switch just get flipped that no longer is it just me on the hook. I'm not the only one that has to deal with the repercussions of my actions anymore. You know, now I'm responsible for this other life. And it, it, it just kind of helped solidify again what I was doing and how I was doing it. And my wife the whole time has, has been that voice in the back of my head that reinforces it. So I think I, without her, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And then without my kids, I wouldn't be able to, to really keep it going, I think. Yeah. And, and, and I want to get on the subject of, of injuries, namely because I've had a recent mm-hmm. one myself, is the difference between being hurt and injured. Right. Talk right? to my kids about it all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're hurt, it's... Play through it. Play through it. Swelling mm-hmm. goes down. But when you're Walk injured, something stops working. Correct. Right. And it happens more as we get older, right? All of a oh, sudden it's injured. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it was my birthday this last weekend and 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 I'm definitely feeling the years as <laughs> as, as that half century mark is really climbing up on me and I'm mm-hmm. right around the corner from it. And but I've been relatively fortunate on avoiding a lot of injuries. Now I've had reconstructive surgery on my hand, ulnar nerve damage on my uh, ulnar nerve surgery on my elbow, torn rotator cuff. But, but that didn't really affect, these things didn't affect my mobility. Like you were talking about is when in doubt, keep falling forward, right? Mm -hmm. Is I haven't had, I've always, especially as Marines, right? Is take care of your feet because Mm -hmm. those are the things that are going to get you where you're going, right? Right? And you're out here carrying packs, you know, you're no good to the military, let alone the Marine Corps. If you can't have two feet Mm -hmm. that get you where you need to go with the equipment that they need in order for you to go do what you need to do. Exactly. Right. Especially you being an FO and Mm -hmm. for the audience, an FO is somebody that's out forward of the lines calling in for rounds to land on targets, be it artillery, be it naval gunfire Mm -hmm. and any number of things. Mm -hmm. Right airstrikes and so forth. So I had never had an injury that affected my mobility Mm. of moving. And uh, so here in middle of February, actually, so I was in Colorado, I was in my house in Colorado and I many a time just fly back and forth. Right. So Durango's airport's 45 minutes away. Mm. I drive there, leave my truck, fly back for a week, go back to Colorado for a few days or a week and fly back so forth. Well, it was Valentine's Day weekend, and that morning of Valentine's Day on that Sunday, I was looking at the weather, and I was like, man, and some of my meetings that I was flying in for were already starting to cancel. And I was like, well, if they're going to cancel, then probably the majority of them are going to cancel. I might as well just cancel my flight, let the storm play out. Mm -hmm. Well, and I was really glad I did because everything canceled and everything stopped. But it was also kind of an advantage because in... I guess the springs are up on Wolf Creek. We got like three feet of fresh powder. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go do some more skiing. You know, I mean, nobody's answering any phones back in Texas because nothing's working. So I'll go up here and do some skiing. And, and then, so we did some great skiing. And then the following week we went back up there and we were going through some deep snow and I wish it was a sexy story. Like I was jumping off a double black diamond doing a double gainer or whatever. And, but it wasn't, I was going through deep snow. I did it. I was coming up on some trees. So I went to go turn and I just kind of got a little goofy in my balance. So I went to fall backwards because, and you know, 
I didn't want to fall on any trees or anything. But when I did, my ski went in, my, my ski, my, my, my boot didn't come out of my ski and I went down odd mm. and I could feel it on my knee and, and, and it, it, it was more than just pain. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, but that snow's deep. So I'm having to dig through and I'm at a weird angle where it's hard to get to that latch to get my boot out of there. Mm. So I get the boot out and I go and I stand up and I was just like, I mean, this hurts, but this is. This is different. Yeah, different level, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is different. So I get out of the trees. My wife's like, "You okay?" And of course, I'm. You know, I got snow all over me. And she goes, "You all right?" Because she knows me well enough to see mm-hmm. in my face. I was like, "That was more than just getting hurt." I think. So we went and hit a few more runs, and I was like, "Okay, this is absolutely painful." Well, I've learned in my old age: don't self-diagnose. <laughs> get to a professional. Just like, you know, we had a recent person who was going to be a new client they didn't you know we did our part in the core value they didn't do theirs they moved on to somebody else and they went to go get somebody who is less experienced like only done one real estate transaction in 24 months versus i do two a week Mm -hmm. right (laughs) and 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 so but i'm not here to convince or anything else but i was like wow this person's going to go get advice from someone that really doesn't know what they're doing Whereas we were able to offer better advice, mm-hmm. but I apply that in my own systems and practices is I'm not a doctor. I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I don't know my body well enough. I'm going to try not to self-diagnose. So mm-hmm. until I could get in there on purpose, I, I minimized my mobility because I didn't want to cause further injury because like you said, we're not getting any younger, mm-hmm. right? And until I could get into the doctor to figure out what the plan was going to do it, how much that mentally messed with me mm-hmm. because I'm so used to being mobile that that's also not a part of who I am, but it's, it's also a part of being therapeutic. How much I'll go get on an incline trainer and listen to a podcast, uh, or listen to another book or listening to these, you know, at, you know, to make sure I didn't say anything stupid during it. And now not having that mobility made it really like it, it really mentally played <laughs> a bigger part with me than I thought it would. Did mm-hmm. you experience that whenever your your knee injury had happened? Absolutely, and especially at the the age that I was, in that invincible mindset, I almost couldn't accept that I my leg was in an immobilizer for as long as it was. So, way before the doctors told me I should be, I was taking my immobilizer off, go in the bathroom, and. And so that my parents couldn't see me take it off, bend my leg, try, try and get it moving around, try and get strength back, try and tighten it up until I would reach a pain threshold that I just couldn't get past, put the immobilizer back on and, you know, and act like I wasn't doing anything. I played in a game because it was the playoffs or some other, you know, illegitimate reason that I, I told myself is why I had to do it. Uh, I think two months before I was supposed to have the immobilizer off and, and just to try and go through things like that. And then I wondered why I continuously re-injured my knee throughout the next, you know, 10 or 15 years or so after that. So it was a a hard thing for me to accept being immobilized like that and not being able to play, compete, do what I love to do. And if I felt like it was within my control, it was something that I tried to force through to the detriment. You know, everything has a price, right? So I, I just didn't realize what the price would be while I was paying, you know, while I was enjoying the benefit of it. 
Yeah, and I <laughs> and in and, and this kind of goes back to something else she said is on that meditation part, right? Mm-hmm. Is part of my daily routine is doing at least forty five minutes of stretching mm-hmm. and breathing, focused on that breathing, mm-hmm. right? And then at least forty five minutes of cardio or working out, and usually do the cardio part of it earlier on in the day and then the stretching at night after my body's had all day to warm up where I can really stretch into that. And all of a sudden I was like, man, uh, now I, I'm, I'm limited on my stretching. Right. Mm-hmm. So, cause I can't get into those deep leg stretches cause you know, the knee, was, mm-hmm. it, it was more than just hurt. It was more than just painful. I mean, it's injured and, and I'm like, man, not only is it painful, but I don't want to make it any worse than what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, especially at, my age where recovery rates aren't as fast. Mm-hmm. And it's so that it, it is, so it had a lot more layers to it than just, Hey, I got a, I got a knee injury. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just, there was so many ripples along the way, so many layers that it was affecting where it really made me rethink about, mm-hmm. about things. And, and like you said, what can you control? What can you not control? And, and it's one thing that I, what I should have done during that time period is even though I can't do the cardio that I want to do. And even though I can't do the stretching, I still should have continued on the breathing mm-hmm. focus because that's really important. And you seem to have learned a lot about that. So let's talk about that, what that means that meditation and breathing and mm-hmm. what that does for you just mentally and physically. Yeah. And I, I, I can't even remember when I try to, what caused me to, want to go get that book or, or in the first place and what really piqued my interest in the first place. But once I started getting into it and it's not a, an easily explained or, or verbalized benefit that you get when you tell somebody I benefit from connecting with my breath or, you know, from breathing exercises, it sounds too easy or too simple to actually have a difference. But I think there is a huge difference between pain and suffering. For example, pain is, is, nerves that are firing that that hit your brain and that's every bit of real right but the suffering the telling yourself that i'm not mobile that it hurts that i'm in this bad position that these are the things i can't do these are the things i wish i could do i'm getting older all of that is suffering and that's an option and i i think meditation and mindfulness has given me the ability to see the difference between things like pain and suffering or that that when you want the peace or when you, when you're looking for that calm or when you feel like you feel anxiety coming on or stresses from the outside world is impacting you in a certain way, meditation, connecting with the breath or it, as you evolve in meditation, eventually connecting with nothing and, and falling into not needing to have a focus in something, but to just be and to be completely happy with just being where and and when you are in that present moment gave me a connection with the the present and I, I think it really is called that because it's a gift right we we experience everything we have in the present moment even when we're remembering the past we're doing so in the present moment when we're planning for the future we're doing so in the present moment it's really all we have at the end of the day is the moment that we're in right now and and the space that we're in right now and meditation and mindfulness, I think, is the only way to see that for what it really is, that I don't, I don't need any external source for me to be happy or for me to be at peace or for me to be calm. That, like the breath, is always with me 
and it's from the inside. And it helps you, instead of being an inward pointing direction, it actually helps you connect with everybody and everything around you. You realize that it's just another example, just another version of the same energy and passion and and consciousness that you experience. So I I think there's uh, a limitless to it. So as you heard me allude to in my story, the last time I said that I went to school was back before I got into banking. I never actually even finished my bachelor's degree. So I, I finished my associates with like a paralegal extra year on top because I, I thought it would be fun to go to, <laughs> to school, I guess, for another year and then try and work for lawyers. <laughs> but uh, as soon as I realized that was not a, a proposition, I really just kind of tinkered with going back. You know, I need to go back to school. I should go back to school. But what do I go back for? Finance and learn more about banking or, or try and feel smarter than everybody in my class because I've been in banking for 15 years? Or do I go back for law? because it's the easiest uh, path of least resistance for me to finish my degree. And I think that's why I just hadn't gone back. And at the beginning of this year, I I found a university uh, called Maharishi that's out of Iowa. And they have a program called Consciousness and Human Potential. And I decided that if I'm going to go back to school, I'm going to go back to school for something that I really want to learn something about, that I want a, a depth of knowledge that I feel like is all encompassing of, of all other things and can make me help and impact my community around me. And so I enrolled and filled up my FAFSA and made me feel 18 years old again and you know, went through all of the, well, no, you have a job. Like you don't qualify for <laughs> financial aid like that. You're just going to take student loans or pay it yourself. <laughs> and, and I'm cool with all that because I, I feel like it's not the piece of paper at the end anymore. It's going to matter to me. It's going to be the journey that I'm really, really going to enjoy and have a passion for. So. I think that's why I got really frustrated with my daughter is I did want her to have a good time. And I made, maybe I made too many jokes to her about majoring and having a good time, but she was always worried about what was she going to major? What was she going to do? And I said, listen, when it comes to your undergrad, you should really just be focused on learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if you want to go specialize in something that you have a further interest in, that's when you can go get an additional degree mm-hmm. or a graduate degree mm-hmm. or a PhD mm-hmm. or a JD or whatever out there. Right. But it is great that you're now you're focusing on something that it, you're going to get self fulfillment out of that. How does that play that and meditation play into what you do for your clients? Sure. I think it is easy in banking during the pandemic and the freeze to get emotional with your small businesses. Like, hearing you speak about the restaurant it's been an emotional year and a half or i don't know forever eternity whatever however long it's been (laughs) since this all started and it's very easy for the banker to get just as depressed emotionally in that whole situation like yep i don't i don't see anything we can do for you either (laughs) you know i don't think this is going to work or you picked the wrong industry or you know you know how it is these are the covenants or whatever bankology or or banklish that person wants to apply to it and instead, I, I feel like with my clients, I can help them find what is in, in their control, help them find the, that the, the potential that they want to realize is, is always available to them. They just need to find the right people to surround themselves with and connect with the right tools and, and with the right places and right instances and, and success is a possibility. And I think most people don't think of that from their banker, that they're actually going to help them find the silver lining in, in what's been really, really dark storm clouds. So that relationship that you have with your clients is absolutely 
one of the most important things at the forefront of the only reason really why I'm in banking is because of the relationship with my clients. I don't enjoy, you know, <laughs> writing credit memos or, or doing financials on, on people or anything like that. I enjoy building and maintaining and improving relationships and helping business owners realize a potential. Uh, they see a dream. They, they see something to get there. I help fill in the details and the fill in the gap so that they can. Man, it's, that's so, that's so important, I believe too, because, you know, I, it's, it's really funny as I've been in 2018, 2019, 2020, the top producing Sotheby's for Sotheby's here in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And, and people, they ask, you know, had, how did you get there? And without going into all the systems and processes and everything else that we've put together that gives a better experience for the client to serve more in advisory capacity than just a transactional mm-hmm. capacity is I was able to develop a lot of clients because I, I intrinsically care about human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guys like you and I wouldn't, uh, and other, just not guys, gals, everybody out there wouldn't serve in the military if you didn't care about human beings and want to be a part of that greater purpose. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done that in the PD for as many years as I did if I didn't care about human beings. That doesn't mean I always like them. (laughs) You can care about people and not like them very much because they give you reason not to like them very much. But, But I was able to develop a lot of relationships because I wanted to see them succeed, right? Like, I always want someone to leave a conversation that they have with me with some sort of value. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't always mean that that conversation is going to be comfortable. Like this week, I'm going to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that is wanting to get, wanting to go meet with me, but they've already, so my executive coach that I had for two years, he said, the definition of wealth is having 100% control of your time. Mm. But on the other side of that coin, there's not a shortage of people that will utilize your time for their benefit. And so me sitting down with this young Marine, who definitely used our time for his benefit. And then it doesn't make him a bad person. Not here to say he's a bad person. He's not. He's fresh out of the Marine Corps. Just doesn't have a true value for time. Mm -hmm. Utilized our time for his benefit only to go off and do something significantly different with somebody that doesn't have any experience. And by the way, it's the first time they ever bought a house. (laughs) And you're going to rely on the person that's only done one deal. So, Mm -hmm. you know. But I'm not here to be in the convincing business, but he still wants to get some of my time because he's new to the area and mm. he's going to be starting at TCU and mm. just wants to understand. But here it is, utilize my time for his benefit and then still reaches out with an email yesterday saying, hey, do you got time to get beer or coffee? <laughs> and so my wife said, are you going to give him any more time? And I said, I am, but not as a client, but as one Marine to the other. To be able to, A, one, I want to learn one, I know we didn't do anything wrong in our processes. Why? Because we wouldn't do the business that we do if, it, if his, his particular situation. Now, have we had situations where something happened, I went back, I learned from that, and we applied to what we were doing moving forward? Absolutely. This one doesn't fall in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, we did everything we were supposed to do. And what he doesn't realize is we were so passionate about helping out fellow military, fellow veterans, fellow Marines that we actually, up until the time he decided to move on, and I'm leaving a lot of things out because I don't <laughs> want to insult, I don't want to insult the young man, is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't truly realize that we not only gave him time, but we gave him double the time we normally give somebody in the avenues that he was going down. Mm-hmm. Because you shouldn't have to, but we wanted him to be educated. Because like you were talking about questions and stuff, 
my goal is that a client knows as much, if not more, about real estate than we do after the process is done. And other agents will go, well, they then they won't need us. And I said, look, I don't want people to use me because they need me. I want them because they trust me, mm-hmm. right? And they want to be with me and I trust them and want to be with them, that first core value, that value exchange. But Laura said, why would you go give them any more time? And I said, it's not going to be as almost was a client. It's going to be because I, I want to I know questions from him is how could I help me understand what questions I could have asked you that would have identified you as a non-starter moving forward. Mm -hmm. So since you've already utilized my time for your benefit, and now you want to utilize more of my time to help you out here in the world, that's the trade-off. You're going to have to agree to this value exchanges. If you want what I've learned in almost half a decade out here and being out of the Marine Corps for 24 years now, you know, what I've learned through a lot of pain, if you want that knowledge, then what you have to give me is you're going to have to give me something first, Mm -hmm. which is I want to know what questions could I have asked to identify you as a non-starter mm-hmm. that my team wouldn't have spent hours beyond hours beyond hours for you to go, nah, I'm going to go over here and do this. Because that's going to help me in business because I don't want somebody to not, I, I don't want to try, it, it goes back to, how am I trying to say this? I don't want to take someone on that I've got to convince them. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like he was wanting us to convince him and I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So what could, what questions could I have asked? What statements could I have made to identify you as someone that wanted to be convinced that I could go, hey, okay, I'm not in the convincing business. Could you play it along all the way up to this part? What question could I have asked? You would have said, I'm going to need you to be in the convincing business. And I could have very early on before too much time was wasted to go, we're not going to be a fit together mm-hmm. because we're not a fit for everybody right? Mm -hmm. We want people to get the best experience they can. Some people want unlimited time, hand-holding, answering the phone at 1030 at night when it's not an emergency and all of that. And that's great, but that's not us. Mm -hmm. That's someone that doesn't do very much business and has the ability and probably needs your deal to close to pay their rent. We're not in that. We don't don't need any. I mean, we're doing so much in business that if we lose somebody, okay, well, I mean, that sucks, but it's Mm -hmm. not going to hurt us because we lost them based on what they did because if we lost them based on what we did, we want to learn that. We want to go, Hey, what did, what did we miss that we can do better? So when I have this conversation, it's going to be asking that uncomfortable question to go, if you want me to give you two and a half decades of being out of the Marine Corps, what you got to look forward to, you're going to have to tell me what, what questions could I have asked to do that, to have that dialogue so that way I could learn moving forward because that is important for me because the amount of time that he wasted of ours mm-hmm. took away from people who do trust us. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, I'm not there to call his baby ugly or take his birthday away from him. I'm just there to go, Hey, I'm trying to actually learn from you. And then, you know, now what I don't have control of, I have control of what I'm going to say in the conversation. What I don't have control of is what he does to respond to it. If he says, I don't want to do that and gets up and leaves the table. Nope. Okay. Or if he says, why don't you tell me first? I'd be like, hey, listen, you already got me first. <laughs> I'm not doing, you know, yeah, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So we're going to do it really early on is you're going to give me your time first mm-hmm. since you already wasted mine. And then in, re- in, in, in exchange, if you do and I'm satisfied by it, then I will give you a quick Scooby snack of what I learned in two and a half decades. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the value of somebody's time, because that's my message going to be to them. I mean, it's going to be funny because we're going to have that conversation this week and then he's going to listen to this 
episode and I haven't named him, but he's going to know who he is, is to be able to go, the biggest learning lesson when I got out of the Marine Corps, and especially after the PD, was how valuable time is. And if you brand yourself as a time vulture or a time waster, like you said, Fort Worth and the surrounding area mm-hmm. is the biggest small town there is. Mm-hmm. And when you've built that reputation for yourself, you're going to have big challenges in doing business, yep. especially after you're investing four years going to TCU. Mm-hmm. You might as well just pick up and move at that point yep. because Fort Worth is a big believer in when you show me who you are, mm-hmm. we believe you. Mm-hmm. We're not calling you a liar because you're, you've shown us who you're going to be. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why it's so important to have that, you know, branding of how you help people. And I kind of got off on a tangent there and I apologize for the audience and you <laughs> is I got to where I was and have the networks I have. People don't realize it's like, okay, you've been number one, three years in a row. But what they don't realize is I've only been doing this four and a half years. Mm-hmm. I remember when you started it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you were, you had, you, 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 it was a year after you got here. Mm-hmm. And I was making that transition from that other unnamed company. Yep. I remember that. Into this. So I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was new into it. Yet a year and three months later, I, I moved to a position where I was number, well, math for Marine, something close to that, mm-hmm. where I became number one year after year. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we, my team, you know, because I couldn't do it without my team. Mm-hmm. We became number one. But developing the business that comes in was helping people. So mm-hmm. in other words, like when you came into town, like, hey, who can I connect you with? Who can, you know, who's the better use of your time and, you know, and, and give me critical feedback. You know, if I send somebody your way and that person wasn't, tell me why, not because they were a bad person, because I don't want to send the wrong people to you. Right. And what can, what shared experiences can we have together that helps you get to where you're at? But you got to be able to want to do that unconditionally, mm-hmm. right? You can't do it for, well, what are you going to give me back? Right. If you just go into helping people, then naturally they're going to think of you when they need banking, real estate, wealth management, lawyer, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Yeah. And and that is important, you know, focusing on people with that. And you're so people focused, you have another passion, which is some nonprofit stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. And I, I think similar on on your point if your purpose is really making an impact in your community and, and really making those that you come into contact with better and, and helping improve their lives in some way, then I, I think you have to involve yourself uh, in business like that and have that purpose. But you also have to involve yourself in a nonprofit. And we all know that the world of COVID and communicating and meeting and networking events and all that has changed significantly. So we've actually changed the vehicles that we used to, to accomplish those same goals. And one of those is a, a vehicle called Synapse. They are out of Virginia, but they do these events that are Zoom-based that are called Hubs or 007. And they are usually focused on a, a nonprofit at the center of it, partnered with somebody in the business community that has skill or talent that they're helping apply to the nonprofit. Uh, and then they put the word out there. Uh, and they have a Zoom event about, around it and invite people from all over the country, other nonprofits, other businesses to do that. And then they, the other day, had one for uh, Tech for Troops. T4T is a, a nonprofit that was spotlighted during this uh, 007 meeting through Synapse. And what they do is they collect 
old and used tech items and they either refurbish them or recycle them uh, for a cost and then donate that money and all of the time and the resources and the new electronics to veterans. So, and they then employ veterans that need jobs within the tech refurbishing industry and they help connect them with other employers uh, that need other jobs in those industries. So their, their girth and, and spread was, was, was wide and uh, they started asking a little bit about things uh, like what you do with, with the Cowtown Warriors and what other nonprofits are, are around town and all that. So I definitely plan on sharing some of that stuff with you. But a Synapse if, to connect really with a multitude of different nonprofits and Tech for Troops just happens to be the, the newest one that piqued my interest. So Synapse, not necessarily veteran focused. They're just nonprofit All focused. nonprofits, yeah. T for T just happens to be one of those that falls under that. Yep. And that obviously struck a, you know, soft spot with me. And that's why I, I jumped on that hub and Synapse does a great job of advertising them. You see which ones. Cancer Care Services is the, the first local in North Texas, Texas at all, hub for Synapse. And they have their event coming up next Friday for their first 007 event. too. Man, that's great. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that, you know, we, we have a deep passion for helping vets, mm-hmm. especially since most of us enter the military very, very young. Target demographic is probably, what, 18 years old? I was yeah. 17. I, I was 17 when I, when I signed it up. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take my dad, but about two seconds to sign those papers. I was like, you got to sign for me to go. And he's, I'll sign whatever you put yeah. in front of me, as long as I don't have to go back in, because he was an old <laughs> Vietnam vet. He was like, let's get you down the road here. But when you, you get in there and the purpose is defined for you, now you have a calling to get there, but your purpose is really defined. Mm-hmm. And then you serve in that purpose and then whether you did four years, eight years, 12 years, 20, 30, 40, you get out and that purpose is no longer there. Yeah, where's the mission, right? Yeah. Right. And so and I believe that's the reason we have so many challenges with veterans making that transition is not because of PTSD and all the other. I get mm-hmm. so tired of hearing, you know, what was me stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do we have issues? Do we have those things? Yeah, sure. But really, we really just need help identifying new purpose. So that way you have now, this is your new mission, like you just said, right? Mm-hmm. So you can continue forward being a productive member of society because none of us want to be painted as that one that's a detriment on society. We went and served. We gave up. I and mean, people, I don't think you really understand. When you go into military, <laughs> you give up your freedoms. You literally give up the Bill of Rights, right? You, yeah. you, it no longer pertains to you while you're in there. It's now it's, now it's the UCJ. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you no longer fall under, you know. The Constitution. The, the Constitution. Is, is, is you fall under you. the UCMJ, yeah. Like yeah. you just said. Yeah, you're a defender yeah. of it. Instead. You know, or, yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, United States. Code of military. Or, yeah. United Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, whatever. I can't remember what some it is. Some letters or whatever. There were some letters that basically you fall under military <laughs> right. law. We got not, the point. Ed. You right. don't have rights anymore. Yeah. Here are your rights. Sign yeah. these and, and go. Yeah. yeah. You, your choices are over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so then you get out and it's just a very ambiguous place where redefining what those, helping people find their purpose or define what their purpose is will make them more productive and because they don't want to be that, that, that drag on society. They went in because they wanted to help society. They don't want to be one of the getting helped. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we need a little help. You know, we got folks that are getting injured, you know, folks that are disabled, folks that have lost legs, fingers, eyeballs, <laughs> all this other stuff, all, all the unpleasant stuff nobody wants to talk about, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, you've got a lot of people out there that 
are not fans of the military who really don't understand the only reason they have what they have is because that military gives up their freedom to protect it. Mm-hmm. You know, so they live in a very charmed life that they don't have to believe that really what they have is because of them, not the military and so mm-hmm. forth. And I'm pretty adamant on making that, you know, if you, if you believe you have what you have and it in the military is not because of it, <laughs> I'll put it at a desk. that says, come change my mind. Let me hear, <laughs> let me hear what you have to say about it. As a matter of fact, I mm-hmm. probably should try to find somebody because it's not a, I don't get angry on the conversations, but I should probably find a guest that really does believe that to come in here and have a good dialogue to try mm-hmm. to understand what would give you that mentality that you really believe this. Mm-hmm. Because if the military stops showing up to work, do you think that the Chinese and the Russians aren't going to take advantage of that? Yeah, and it, I think there's a big yeah. difference between people giving credit to the military for their freedom and uh, politicians or generals in the military taking credit for that freedom because of decisions they've made or books they've written or things that they took credit for along the way. I, I think that's what people, you, you probably could be easily, easily find somebody that sees that as the image of a military gave me my, my rights or, or whatever. And instead of the, the actual contradiction that it is, it is not, you know, that part of the military that does it for you. It's the, it's the enlisted guy. It's the, the FO, the infantryman, the, the artillery guy that's loading shells and a howitzer the guy on a, on a ship, the the woman in a comm tower, the you know driving a drone or whatever it is, it's that person uh, that's interacting with with that mission that really gives us our freedom, and and that's a strength that those veterans can take well out of the military. It's a purpose that doesn't have to be given to them by any commanding officer. You can always have an impact on those around you, protect those around you, help them get better. In, in using whatever vehicle you need to use to get there, but having a definite major purpose, uh, a definite chief aim that you're going for, and all things that are worth your time have to be contributed in that direction. And anything that takes away from that purpose needs to be excluded, needs to be eliminated. And I, I think if you you follow teachings like people like Napoleon Hill, Jocko Willink, people that are going to be out there and tell you in a way that is fully digestible. Sometimes for us, we need that military flavor on it to, to, to get it down. But whatever it is, you find that connection with what's going to give you the fire to get through it. And that's the only way to do that. Man, so let's kind of bring this home. Mm-hmm. We've talked about a lot. We've unpacked quite a bit here, yeah. actually, from growing up, making your way to Texas. What injuries in baseball did to lead you to the Marine Corps and then injuries there that led you to come into the banking industry to be, you know, to help people in their interests, to community, to what you believe you need to do to be a, a good dad to, to daughters. So that way it shapes the image of what they should look forward to when they finally leave the nest one day, having an incredible partner like your wife and all of that. That's, that's actually a lot of life <laughs> that's occurred in the few short decades you've been on this planet. Right. So how, how old are you now? I'll be 39 in a month. 39. So you got less than four decades on this planet and you've had five lifetimes of experience. <laughs> yeah. Tell people I have a lot of miles. <laughs> a lot um, of miles. <laughs> might be a newer, newer model <laughs> than most people assume, but I got a lot of miles. Yeah. So going, going into this is with all that experience, if you could dial it back. And I know that there is, and I always say this, there's so many things we'd love to tell 20 year old self. Mm-hmm. But if there was one thing that you were like, either do or don't do this. This is the one, this is the one absolute thing 
that you wish you could tell 20-year-old self, what is that one absolute thing that you would want 20-year-old self, regardless of all the life learning and pain they're gonna go, you're going to go through for the next 19, 20 years, what's that one thing you would tell 20-year-old self? I think the, the one thing I would tell my 20-year-old self is something that I, if I think about it, I knew at that point. I just didn't know I knew it, right? Everything in life, at some point, you're going to do for the last time. There's going to be a last time that your kid wakes you up in the middle of the night. There's a last time that I got dressed in my Marine Corps uniform. There's a last time that my mother will cook me dinner, that my kids, that, that I'll be able to pick them up or uh, that they'll pronounce words, you know, in, in a baby voice. There's a last time that I played baseball competitively with the dream of playing baseball that I didn't know that was the last time when I did it. I didn't know last time I took a PT test in the Marine Corps that that was the last time I was going to do it. And we don't know when any of those last times are happening now. And I would remind myself that if I treat everything as I'm doing it in the present moment, like it's the last time, then I will get so much more appreciation out of that, right? If I, if I knew when I played baseball, the, the game before I got hurt, if I knew that was the last time I was going to play like that, I would have played differently. I would have enjoyed it more. I would have paid more attention to it. I would have, I would have relished in it. You know, I, I really would have appreciated it. If I knew that when Giada, my oldest daughter, was going to stop, you know, crying in the middle of the night, waking us up that we were doing all that complaining, you know, when your first kid does that. If I knew there was going to be a last time that happened, I would have really savored that last time more. And I think 20-year-old me would have been able to make more out of those memories that I made in the, in the past, you know, 20 years, if I would have been more aware that, that some of those things were the last time and some of the things I'm doing today will be the last time. I am always amazed that I've recorded over 30 episodes <laughs> now in this series that we're recording. So for the audience that doesn't know is we record in bulk anywhere from 10 to 12 episodes so we can get them ready and get them lined up in a pipeline and so we've had 30 that have already been pre-recorded, and I think this last week's was 28, and we got 29, 30, and then the new series will come out, 31. And as many of these we've done, how every time I ask that question, it's answered differently by mm -hmm. everybody. Everybody answers it different, which is really cool because that's really the candidness of what you really would tell. Instead of the cliche, well, I would say do blah, 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 which right. is the normal thing. And so, man, so, all right. So people want to learn more about this nonprofit. They want to learn more about you. What, what are we, what do we got? Website, LinkedIn, what, mm -hmm. how, do, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, LinkedIn, I've been active on looking at Ronnie Demana on LinkedIn uh, or Facebook. I, I mean, I just started this year. So I'm, I'm a newbie on Facebook. Uh, how did you just now start? Facebook? I held out for the longest possible time. <laughs> and, and then I, as I heard that, you know, I needed to do this to just to connect with some people that they were putting events on Facebook that I wasn't be able to see without it. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll get on there and then connect them with cousins and old family members and all that stuff's been been fun. But LinkedIn, definitely. And then my email address is my first name, R-O-N-N-I-E dot my last name, D-E-M-A-N-N-A at plainscapital.com. That's great. And to get more information on this nonprofit, if somebody wanted to donate to it, where, where would they go to that? Yeah, synapse.org or T, the letter T, the number four, the letter T.org is tech for troops or search tech for troops and get involved some way. They'll, they'll take any type of used computer equipment, old stuff. 
that you're getting rid of, other electronics, anything like that, uh, and put to a good use. And so for the audience out there, you're driving, you're listening, and you hear more about Ronnie, always realize you can, if, if you forgot where, you know, where, where to get in touch with them, you can always go to our website, www.myexperiencedrealtor.com, experience with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to Ronnie's episode, hit the read more, and you can directly connect to him is there there as well. So thanks for coming in, Ronnie. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate I you, Jeremy. Fine, that will Thank you, sir.